from my mistake. Are you tired of hearing the same old advice when it comes to real estate? Do you want to learn from the biggest and baddest mistakes in the industry? Then welcome to Learn From My Mistake, the podcast that brings you real estate professionals from all over, sharing the biggest blunders and how to avoid them. I'm one of your hosts, Jake Remillard, and I'm joined by my partner, Marie Beginski. We're here to give you the inside scoop on what not to do in the real estate game. From brokers to investors, we've got it all. We're not just here to tell you about our guest failures, though. We're here to help you learn from them so you can make the right moves when it counts. So buckle up and get ready to hear some juicy stories and expert advice you won't find anywhere else. This is Learn From My Mistake. New episodes drop every week. Don't miss out. Hey, what's going on, everybody? We've got Jake Remillard, Marie Beginski, and Sean Tiberio coming at you for episode. What are we? We're, we're close to at least like 20, 21 or something like that, Marie. Close. I think it's 18. Oh, okay. All right. Lucky Still pretty 18. good. Yeah. It's been going pretty strong. So I'm excited about it. Had a lot of interesting guests, and we have a really good lineup all through November, I'm pretty sure, right now. Yeah, but what's special about today's episode is this is the first time that, despite the fact that we are business partners, we're bringing somebody else in who we're also kind of intertwined with. So this is going to be a really exciting episode for us. Um, welcome, Sean Tiberio. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah. I was wondering when you guys were going to finally ask and put me on the show. <laughs> you know, we thought about it early on, but... We, we wanted you to know that we had some other interesting guests come before you, you know, totally like you weren't totally knocking down the door. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sean, do us a favor, give a little intro on who you are, what you do, kind of a little bit about your background, real estate and marketing related. Absolutely. So uh, quick back of the envelope uh, backstory on Sean um, spent 10 years in the Marine Corps and got out, realized college was still not the option. No different than it was 10 years prior when I decided to not go to college and go into the service. Um, the Marine Corps taught me how to blow a lot of things up. So I thought because of that, I knew how things were built. I should just go into my own business. Um, and I'm sure we're going to revisit this story because it's one of my one of my big fuck-ups early on. Uh, failed that business realized coaching, consulting, education, guidance, mentorship was the way to go to, to get going in the right direction. Started to get a little bit of that, realized I found this love of real estate, um, started investing heavily in real estate, started to build a fairly significant operation. Fast forward to today, um, scaled out of one of those real estate operations, sold it, um, still do real estate up to this point but also came to find this other deeper love. And that was the marketing side. Uh, and that's what led me into now owning and being the CEO and one of the co-founders of REI Toolbox and everything that we do for the the marketing side for real estate. Um, so yeah, that's the, the quick backstory. Published two books, working on a third one right now. Many people laugh at that because I was the guy that failed English class over and over <laughs> and over again. Yet I've got my name on two, two books that you can see in the background right now. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of like my my life highlight right there awesome so for anybody that maybe doesn't know or didn't catch the reference you said you were you were really good at blowing things up in the military 
Um, I just happen to know because we're we, we've had these conversations. But you were EOD, right? Yeah, it started off um, more on the the combat engineer side of the house, which really is a combination of explosives and construction. Engineers can be sent in two different phases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just happened to end up down this track where I was constantly being attached to ground units. Uh, I was constantly being involved in in IED defeat and in all the the IED battles uh, during Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, which led me into more explosive ordnance and and IED defeat and IED disposal and all this other stuff. So that's why I always joke my my time in the Marine Corps was a blast. <laughs> but we'll we'll put that in the edit after. Drum <laughs> roll. All right. Um, okay. So- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, want, I want to ask now because you opened up the the invite. Tell us about that first business right out of the Marine Corps. What what was it? I, I'm pretty sure I know. Was it a construction company? It, well, it was. That's what it was in my mind. Um, okay. It definitely was not that on uh, on real world application. So okay. I, I, there's a little bit of a, a story. I'll try to keep this one short that led into it. I got out of the Marine Corps. First off, my family was pissed. My grandfather, love him to death. He's up in heaven now. But uh, for probably a good eight months while I was waiting to, to get out of the service to EOS, um, he kept telling me that I was basically an idiot. Because what are you going to do? What are you going to come back to Northeast Ohio? What are you going to come to Youngstown and do? And there was something in me that just said there was something better in life. There was something more for me to do other than continue down this path of, of Marine Corps service. Uh, when I got home, I really had nothing to do. So I had to fall back on the one other skill that I was able to snag from the Marine Corps. And that was, I had, I happened to get my class A CDL. I was licensed to drive pretty much every type of rig there is on the road. Uh, So I fell into truck driving and I hated it, but my family was happy because it was a consistent job. I was making money. I had the 401k, I had the health coverage, all of that. So that pleased them. But for eight and a half months, I hated life. Like living in the back of a truck was worse than being on deployment. Yeah. And randomly one day I got fed up. Uh, I was up in Detroit and I left. I I literally called my dispatcher and said, that's it. I'm done. Packed up the truck in a rental car, drove home. And I pulled in my dad's driveway. It was a Wednesday afternoon. And he questioned, what are you doing here? And then he looked around and he, why is there a rental car? Where's the semi? Like what's going on? And I said, oh, I quit. And the you're an idiot completely started all over again. Um, so I had to lean on something and I was like, you know what? It's really, really easy in Ohio to get a contractor's license. I mean, it's literally as fast as you can file paperwork with the state. You can get your business name, your EIN, you you know, you're all set to go. There really is no licensing. So I was like, I'm going to start a home remodeling company, kitchens, baths, floor, easy stuff. right? Right. And I managed to land a job or two. And then the real pain started to set in a, I was landing those couple jobs, but for some reason I still was broke. So I'm doing work, but I don't have any money left over Yeah, projects. I'm running out of money on the project. I'm struggling to find the next set of jobs. And really I started to realize as I started to dive into trying to figure out this entrepreneur life uh, a little bit more reading books, listening to podcasts at the time, you know, watching YouTube, all these different things started to realize that all I'd done was really created a prison. It wasn't even a job. Like I was, if I didn't get up every day, get in the truck, go to the job site, put the cabinets in, lay the floor, it wasn't going to get done. But then I also had to go do the estimates. And then I also had to write the bids. Then I had to go sell the, you know, the, and lock in a contract on it. And it sucked. Yeah. Um, 
So the the real it's first really a one man out. show at this point, like no employees, none, none. Wow. I had no no concept on how to even run a business, let alone what did that mean to to try to get somebody. Like, how am I going to pay them? I don't right. have a stack of money, right? This was all the stuff that was in my mind at the time, right? Um, and the the big mess up, you know, what what happened is I realized I didn't understand the key fundamental of business outside of the bookkeeping outside of the paperwork the administrative side right the key fundamental in my opinion is you've got to keep a pipeline full of opportunities in your face yeah. if you don't something's going to dry up at some point and that's ultimately what happened six and a half seven months so here i am just over like a year almost a year and a half out of the marine corps now regretting my decision because <laughs> i'm working harder I'm struggling left and right. All the money I'd been able to stash away driving semi is now gone. Mm -hmm. um, and and I've got the family basically, you know, looking over my shoulder at every move, questioning, right. why did you choose this over continuing where you were at? Yeah. Uh, and I, it, I, I was in a bad spot. I had to really think long and hard before I made the next move because I was this close to just saying, you know what, maybe I need to reenlist and, and get back out of here. Okay. Yeah, I've known, I've known a lot of people, um, entrepreneur or non-entrepreneur that have fallen into that same, you know, I don't want to say trap, right? Because it's, it's, it is a great opportunity. The military did a lot for me as well, but I think that's something incredibly common within our, our community of service members that ETS, and then even the, the, the few who go from that into entrepreneurship, it's just an incredible leap. Um, but I, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Maria, it sounded like you had a question. Yeah, I want to know, like, what was that shift like? Because that is a huge mindset shift right there. You're coming from this military mindset from a family that sounds like they're mostly W-2 employees. So they all want you to be safe and secure, right? Mm -hmm. Have the pension, have all that stuff. So like, what was the next step or what was like the trigger to keep you on your path of entrepreneurship at that time? I think a lot of it's, I'm very hard headed and I was real hard headed at that time. Um, <laughs> almost to the point to where I didn't want to fail myself and I was failing and that really hurt. Um, yeah. it, it hurt my own ego. It hurt the way that I looked at myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, as, as I started to, to look at what the next move was, and that's kind of how it led into to real estate, because I started to sit back and think, like, why do I need to find other work? When if What if I just got my own place, bought my own house, you know, or found a way to get a property and flip? Or maybe I go find these people that are flipping and just do their work for them. Um, but it, for me at that time, the grind was I'm going to like the mindset in my mind was I'm going to figure this out. I don't know what that looked like. I didn't understand how, but I just knew, you know, I, I had been through multiple combat tours. I've been through multiple deployments. There's been so many other things in my life that are so rough that if I can get through that, I can figure this shit out. Right. There, there's no reason why I can't. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was scary. Not going to lie. Um, but eventually, you know, started to piece things together. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So this business fails. Like oh, how, how 
long? How long were Actually, you in business? Well, like I said, about six and a half months in. It really was doomed to fail at the beginning. If you know, if I take all the marketing and all the stuff that I know now, <laughs> and I look back at it, the name itself was terrible. Mister T's Home Fixins. <laughs> Fixins <laughs> felt like I was in the country. Mr. T came because uh, growing up playing baseball, my father was was always an umpire of my games, and everybody called him Mr. T. Our last name's Tiberio, but he okay. always looked like, you know, the big Mr. T, only not black kind of thing. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to combine all of these two together. But Mr. T's home fixings, it sounded like I was a freaking catering company, and I'm over here trying to yeah. market to do your kitchen <laughs> and bathroom remodel. <laughs> nice. So what did marketing look like for you at that time? Because I know you're you're you know an expert now. What was it back then? Uh, back then, it was a couple magnets on a truck, some business cards, and <laughs> begging family to give me referrals. <laughs> uh, my my cousin at the time was the pro desk manager at Home Depot in our town. Yep. So I constantly was going in there in the morning and be like, Joe, you know anybody? Joe, has anybody asked for this? Hey, Joe, do you know anybody that needs this kind of work? I'm ready to do this kind of stuff. And and just hoping that I would get these random referrals. Or uh, I remember the first time somebody called me because they saw my truck and saw the magnet. And I was like, I, I thought I made it because yeah. right. this random person that was not referred by anybody that I know just randomly calling me, wanting to know if I can give them a bid on something. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was marketing then. So what would you say, you know, cause we do have listeners that are, some are, um, just getting started somewhere, you know, at different levels and everything. If you had to go give yourself advice, you know, to, to Mr. T's home fixings now, and, and you had a similar budget and similar setup to what you had back then, what would you say? What would you tell them to do? Don't, don't go with that decision. Take that budget and invest yourself <laughs> into some education. <laughs> I mean, straight up. Cause as yeah. soon as I started to do that, I realized, holy crap, I was, there was no making that work. I was doomed from the get-go uh, because so many cards were stacked in the wrong direction that I should have probably gotten some education, studied a little bit first before I made that uh, initial move. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Okay, so what was next? What 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 was... Was yeah, it the so, next company? Was it the education? What was next? No, it was, it was education. So I'm leaving Home Depot one day, um, trying to figure out how I'm going to get this job done because there's, you know, ten or $12,000 sitting out there waiting for me. If I finish this up, I can get this money. Uh, mm -hmm. Like I said, bank accounts were pretty much bone dry. I was going to be finding my way to the streets here soon if, if I didn't get some money in. Family was pretty much fed up with me at this point. And uh, a radio ad came over, you know, what? Came on the, the radio as I was pulling out of Home Depot. Learn how to flip houses in the Youngstown market. Learn how to make $25,000 or more. You know, free, free session, blah, 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 blah. Call to get your tickets. And all I heard was flip houses. This is something that had been in my thoughts at this right. point. 25000 to flip a house. That's more than I'd made on any project, you know, that I was over here trying to do. I couldn't grab the phone fast enough to call and get registered for that, that two-hour session. And I, I called the, the girl that I was dating at the time. And I was like, you'll never guess. I got us two tickets. I made it sound like it was something special. Like, I want yeah. us these two tickets. and but Because I knew I needed to convince her to come. Yeah. Because I knew that something about this wasn't like, I, I can't do this alone. I've been trying to do this alone and it's not working. I need some support, right? 
So I had to convince her. And I remember making it sound like we struck the lottery kind of thing. Like we won these two free tickets. We got to go <laughs> kind of thing and guilted her into doing it. Um, yeah. And we went to that two hour session and, and you guys all know, you know, what that turns into now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that two hours turned into a three day and I had just enough money to um, afford the three day ticket. But I purposely, because Aaron at the time was Aaron's her name, but Aaron at the time wanted to promise each other that we weren't going to spend any more money. So we <laughs> left her purse, my wallet, everything at the house. Now the holiday inn was only about five minutes away, but I remember getting to a certain point in there where I was like, I need to do this, but I didn't have my wallet. And I made her drive home to get it wow. to come back to be able to, to buy it. And it wasn't because I saw a, this like business thing. It wasn't because I saw a million dollars on the wall. It wasn't because I thought I was going to be a millionaire the next day. Yeah. For me, it was, I needed the education. And actually through that whole process, even though they were teaching how to get into real estate, how to be a real estate investor, how to flip houses, I was seeing it as business education, how to successfully run a business, how to build the right systems, right? How to, how to keep things moving forward that I struggled with before. Right. Yep. And uh, so it led us into the into that track, which then eventually led us into um, real estate. Once I grasped a little bit of this knowledge, then I was like a, a bull in a china shop. I couldn't couldn't slow myself down. And uh, that's kind of what led into the the next set of of mistakes. I wouldn't call those ones fuck ups, but they were definitely there's some mistakes there. So okay. I like it. We're going through like the, the chapters of Sean Tiberio here. What what was the next? Where did it go? What happened? Uh, from there, when, once I started going, um, like I said, bull in China shop, I, I started letting the coach dictate everything. Coach mm, okay. said, put marketing out. At the time, I'd be curious if some of the listeners of this even remember doing marketing like this. And it, let me backtrack a second. When I was learning that stuff, I, that's when I also started to realize I got to find a way to market. So I started studying marketing knowledge, right? Um, and at the time, Craigslist was the place to market. Right? Ooh, Facebook okay. really wasn't even big yet. Facebook pages, business pages were just you're, kind of... You're aging yourself right now, Sean, but yeah, keep going. So Craigslist. Craigslist was today's Google at that yeah. time. But there was ways to publish ads and, and there was this, uh, this whole process on how to optimize your Craigslist listings, how to game the system and how to get them to show up and all that stuff. And I started to study that whole process. And the coach was like, you need to put marketing it out. And I was like, I have a dollar. Where can I use marketing? Let me find the free sources. Craigslist was free. Yep. Right. So I started gangbusters, writing ads, writing ads, writing ads. Got the first seller to call me. And I just immediately when like phone call came in, it, let's say it was Jake. Hey, hey, this is Sean with, you know, a uh, house to home properties. How can I help you? Hi, my name's Jake. I got a house to sell. Great. What's the address? I'll be there in an hour. Yeah. And boom, out the door I went. So big set of mistakes right there, right? Not even asking any questions, wasting a ton of time. All this in like but I was great just, shape remember, or something. Yeah. I'm coming from a business that failed and suddenly things are somewhat working. Yeah. I got stupid excited. <laughs> so I go look at the property. I don't even think I ran comps on it. I just made an offer, locked this house up for $25,000. Um, turn around and the coach was like, well, now you're going to have to sell the contract if you can't close on it. And Aaron right away was in my face. Like, where are we going to get 25,000 from? Right? We're both right, right. not really doing well kind of thing. 
And I was like, don't worry about it. I'll figure this out. And then I'd go to the, at the time, my office, which was the old construction company's office, was really a broom okay. closet above a motorcycle shop where they <laughs> fixed bikes all day. <laughs> and it was this tiny little broom closet. Uh, so I ran to the office. I'm in panic mode. And I was like, well, Craigslist found me the seller. I wonder if Craigslist can find me the buyer. So I started putting ads up on Craigslist for the contract for sale. But I made a mistake. I was writing the ads that I had a house to sell. Oh. So here we are, 1030 at night on a Friday night. I get an email. Somebody replying to that, that ad that wants to meet at 8 a.m. for breakfast to talk about the house. And as I'm reading the email, the, the email signature said real estate attorney. Oh, and I thought for sure I was done. Like <laughs> I screwed something up. This is good. I didn't even know how to reply to the guy, yeah. but I finally replied with, "Okay, see you." And I forget the name of the place, but it was just down the street. I was like, "Okay, see you tomorrow. Your treat. Like you buy breakfast." Oh, okay. And he answered back <laughs> with, "Sounds good. I'll have a table for us." Now the whole night I didn't sleep. Because one side of me was like, this guy wants to actually buy it. I'm going to actually be able to wholesale something, right? The other side of me was like, you're going to walk in and there's going to be a full-fledged sting operation. <laughs> you're getting arrested. What team, U.S. Marshal, like they're all going to come. Right. And that's it. You broke every law there is to break when it comes to, to real estate. And you're going to jail. Yes. So I remember walking in and seeing this guy sitting there and I, I said his name and He's like, yeah, that's me. And we sat down and talked and come to find out he actually wanted to get the house because he wanted to land contract it to clients of his who had lost their home in a fire and couldn't afford to buy anything. So it was actually a legitimate deal. Uh, and yeah. right there at the table, we, we signed the assignment contract. And then after it was all said and done, ink on paper, then he said, hey, uh, by the way, next time, say you have a contract to sign uh, to, to sell, not a house to sell. Mm -hmm. So he kind of, and we became really good friends. And he actually was the top attorney in our area for um, landlord tenant laws, did a ton of evictions. And he ended up becoming a really good friend of ours and somebody that became a, a big business asset for us as things, you know, kind of grew from there. But the mistake that came out of that, yeah, there was the little ones not marking it the right way. The mistake that I realized at that time then was I was going down the exact same path. I was trying to do it all myself. Mm -hmm. and i needed if, if we were going to do more of these deals and more faster i needed to figure out how to get other people involved it couldn't just be sean running around town looking at the property writing the offers meeting with these people and trying to deal with the getting the market there's just not enough time in the day to do yeah. it all yeah. um and you know that first deal took me probably about eight and a half nine months from the time I shut down the construction company and went all in on real estate to get that first deal done. And it was like, I can't have nine months between deals, you know, going forward. Sean, just to clarify. So the construction company, you decide, okay, this is going to shut down from the day that you actually invested in yourself and invested in that education. And you've made that poor woman drive back to her house and grab your wallet. Um, how long was that? What was that span? Uh, it was about was a nine month window. Okay. So that's same yeah, to get that, gotcha. to get that first. Well, no. So we, sh I shut everything down the day that I bought the ticket oh, to okay. go to, to, to the three day yeah. event. 
And that's when I kind of was like, you know what? I'm done. I went home. I took the magnets off the truck. Uh, <laughs> I quit wearing the t-shirts everywhere, you know, threw the business cards away kind of thing. It was like, yep. this one is done. I'm going to rebuild from, from scratch and hopefully do it the right way this time. Yeah. I just want to bring up, I think this is really interesting because I've been talking about this a lot lately of entrepreneurs thinking that they can do everything themselves. And it's like, even if you were a W-2 employee at some point, or you were in the military and you were never a W-2 employee, like you don't complete missions by yourself in the military, right? Like you definitely don't like run a business or work a W-2 job like solo 99% of the times, but yet entrepreneurs get started and they think that they can wear all the hats and learn everything and do all the activities. So I love that that was one of your awarenesses and probably your biggest mistake with the first company and how you even mentioned like just getting Aaron to support you by going to the event with you. Like you needed the, the like backing support first. And then once you decide to do this business, you need actual like physical labor support. We need to hire people. Right. Yeah. I mean, Jake, you could probably, you know, resonate with this. When, when you're in the service and you got a, a platoon of guys or even a squad, right? You're a squad leader and you've got 12, 13 other people underneath you. And then suddenly you have to be the one to do everything. It's like, wait, this sucks. Where's my help? Where's yeah. my peon, you know, little PFC privates that I can delegate everything to? And I didn't have that. Yeah. And that, that was the big kind of like, aha, that if I want to scale, if I want to do this, I've got to build my, my squad of workhorses, right? I need yeah. my fire team leaders. I need my, my individual privates and, and PFCs, my individual riflemen of my company. And yeah. I knew I didn't want to wholesale because yep. yeah, it was nice to make five, six, 7,000 on that, that deal. I think we ended up just, just over six grand on the first one. I did another one right after that, got a little bit better, uh, made about eight or nine on it, but I knew wholesaling wasn't going to be the only way to, to do business. Right. We, I needed to get back into what I knew and that was the construction side of things. But if I took down a property that needed to be renovated, I can't do the work because I can't right. also run this thing. Um, and I get asked this question a lot because I speak at a lot of events. I'm always at different conferences and this question always comes up. You know, if you can go back and redo it again, what would you do different? And I always say I would have hired faster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought yeah. I hired pretty fast and I'm looking back at it going, no, I should have hired faster. We should have got some people working on some things a lot quicker than we actually did. And God knows what the success would have looked like. You know, it was, it was a good run, you know, right. with what we did, but could that have been better? You know, that's that. But I mean, I think you could always think that about everything. Obviously you've come, you've come a very long way and had a very successful career. Um, to, to kind of just circle back to your point about, you know, being able to resonate with that transition going from that military, having those, those people below you, there's a sense of like accountability there that you also get from that. And the, the big challenge for me was actually that freedom. I got out and I was like, Oh my God, I, this is amazing. I have no formations. I have nobody calling me <laughs> saying, Sergeant, I can't find my uniform this morning or, you know, like all this ridiculous stuff that comes up. And then like six months went by and I was like, wow, I have nothing going on. Like I did, I had my business and everything, but there was nobody else there. 
and I read, I was going to one of those events that you were talking about, and I happened to be fortunate enough to download and listen to the E-Myth, the entire car ride. And holy shit, it blew my world apart. I was like, this makes so much sense. And I hired my first person. I got that accountability factor. I got my my team going. And then I did my first deal after I made my first hire. So I, I love that this is the, the theme that we're talking about here. And if anybody's listening to this, read the e-myth if you haven't. It'll, it'll, it'll show you exactly what we're talking about right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so now... I want to go from real quick because that company ended up being huge. You had different aspects of it, right? You were fix and flip, property management, all the things, right? So give us a quick overview on that and how you exited that because I want to get into where you are now with marketing. So, Yeah, so fast forward a handful of years, we stumbled into needing to build a property management company. I never actually wanted to build one. Uh, we just happened to be acquiring a, a ton of properties and holding on to them as rentals. Another investor came into town, fell in love with one of them, wanted to buy it from us, but wanted us to manage it. And that's what kind of led into that. And very quickly, we went from one door you know, under management with one client to hundreds of doors under management and multiple uh, clients left and right, which then got the attention of a very large property manager in our area that basically was like, you guys need to go. Um we, we were pretty much controlling the, the rental market at that time. We were controlling the renter pool. Uh, we were leveraging, this is where marketing really started to get in. We started building a very significant database of potential renters. We started leveraging technology, text, short codes, all these things, online stuff. And I mean, we're talking 2014, 15, 16, you know, right. Facebook really was kind of getting big now at this point. Instagram hadn't even really been a thought. It was more of a place to just share pictures. Yeah. Um, but yet here we are leveraging technology left and right, texting codes. Does even anybody even remember Periscope? We were doing uh, walkthroughs of videos on Periscope. This is before Facebook Live, right? Um, so we were leveraging a lot of things out of the norm, which got the attention. That's kind of how we exited that business because we made such a drastic impact on the lifelong businesses in that area, the the. 30, 35, 40 year veterans of the property management world that they were fighting over getting us out. And, um, but you know, at that same time we were, you know, 20 to 25 flips at a time. I was also at construction crews on, on the road. We did five different States with, um, loves travel stops. We're doing a lot of industrial building. Uh, that led me into, you know, before I talk about what, where I'm at today, that led me into looking at doing, real estate in markets that I didn't even in states that I didn't even know. Mm -hmm. uh, I started tapping into Alabama. I uh, had a couple flips in Birmingham. We had a flip going in, in Huntsville. Huntsville was a big fuck up. That's more of a, a partnership talk. If, if we want to go into uh, the, that route, <laughs> uh, making sure you pick the right partners when you do JV deals. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's, you know, got out of the, eventually kind of got out of the active side of real estate. The, the flipping so much and eventually just kind of stuck with what I really love. And that's rental properties in Youngstown, Ohio. It's one of my favorite things, you know, to, to look at and invest in. Awesome. So you mentioned, you know, the, the partnership 
buck up. I don't know if that's something we want to kind of explore. We have had a lot of guests who have brought that topic up. I'm curious if you have maybe an original take on that. So what was, what was that fuck up? If you're, if yeah. You're I, and I don't know what your past guests have said, but I think the biggest uh, mistake on that one was understanding that even though you're clear on roles, right, we, we probably, I know the three of us, we talked to a lot of younger real estate people. Yeah. We always yeah. don't get clear on job roles or get clear on partnership roles. If you're going to go into business, whether on a one deal thing, or you're going to partner up and, and join forces on a, on a company, get clear on whose responsibility it is for what tasks and things uh, to, to create a, a safe working environment, we'll call it. That's good, but somebody at some point has to step in as kind of the sledgehammer when it needs to be there. Yeah. And that was, that's where that went South. We, we stood to make almost a, just shy of a half a million dollars on this deal. And one person was choosing because that was his task, his role to list the property. He was trying to guide and dictate every aspect around that and negotiating around that. Even though the two other, me and the other person that was involved saw that it wasn't the right call that we should have gotten on sooner that we, you know, there was like 10 different things that should have been changed, but mm -hmm. because that was his area of this deal, we sat back and I look back and that deal ended up going completely South. We went from almost a half a million in profit to losing almost all of it. I think we ended up walking away, splitting like $40,000 uh, wow. instead. And when I look at what went wrong, what went wrong is me and the other person didn't put our foot down, right? We didn't step in as the, the two other partners and say, hold on a second. I know this is your area, but we need to step in and we're going to, we're going to make a, a, an executive decision here. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be my, like, and I, I don't know what your other guests have said or what their things are, but that's my big thing is get clear on the road, but also be very clear. Like who is, and, and is it say, does everybody understand that anybody at any point can step in and say, hold up, stop, right? Put the brakes on and here's why. Yeah. Right. It's almost like either, you know, when things are going astray, now we have to like team up, have a meeting, what's going on? How do we remedy this? Or it's like, choose one person that's just going to be the decision maker at the end of the day. So that when things go astray, this one person like, gets to veto everyone else. Right. And it's like, no, yep. this is what we're doing. So it's, yeah, that's interesting. It definitely is not something that I don't think anyone else has brought up. No. Um, and you know, again, the, the, I will say one thing though, because this comes up a lot with even like students that I've mentored in the past, the, it, the biggest issue with JV agreements is the fact that most of the time they're written for the best possible outcome and no one's actually sitting there thinking about, well, what if, or what yeah. could go wrong? And really yeah. that's what you need to decide on and plan for in the beginning and put in your JV agreement. Because if your JV agreement only says, oh, we're gonna split the profit 50-50, but then you lose money, who's responsible for the, are we also losing 50-50, right? So like yep. there's definitely, I think uh, just a lot that people could work on with the wording and formation of their JV agreements from the onset. hundred percent. All right. We got to fast forward to marketing because I want to know how you went from 
selling a property management company because that's what ultimately happened. You sold a property management company. And then did you immediately like let go of everything else too? Did you stop the flips, stop rentals, sell your rentals? Like what was everything else? And then how did we get into marketing? Short answer on that is yes. A lot of that stuff stopped uh, for a little while, partially because the the whole property management bundle, what we had built was a, a massive turnkey operation. So when they wanted to buy up the management side of it, it was like, we got to stop this other part because our whole business model was find these properties that made sense, renovate them, get a tenant in it. And we had a pool of buyers ready to buy it, but they wanted us to manage. Um, We lose the management component. Suddenly the business model didn't make any sense. Right. At that time, I was also traveling like crazy. I was flying all over the country, speaking at multiple different seminars a month, uh, running multiple different trainings a month for for another operation. Um, so I just kind of leaned into that for a little bit and then eventually kind of realized I wanted to get into more of the consulting side uh, of real estate on the marketing aspect. To, to answer the question, how did I tran- transition from active real estate investor into more of the marketing aspect? I started to look back and realize our success with the real estate company, house to home properties, house to home construction. My number one failure in the beginning was the no idea how to find opportunities. By the end of all of that, I knew exactly how to find opportunities. I knew I understood marketing through and through. And that was my core area of focus with our our real estate operation was the lead generation side of it the initial handling of things, the, the acquisition intake. Um, and then I would hand it off to, to other team members to handle the funding, the closing, that kind of stuff. And then we had our, our project management team that I kind of oversaw, but I wasn't doing the active stuff. It was the marketing component for me. And as I shifted into the consulting side, what I always came to find out was real estate companies. I don't care if it's real estate agents, real estate investors, their number one struggle is lead gen finding opportunities. Um, partially because nobody's really teaching how to truly do it. Everybody's teaching the grassroots off, you know, uh, old style of marketing because most real estate education out there is built to teach you about real estate, how to invest in it, how to analyze the property, right? How to do do the deal safe. Marketing is the second a secondary thought. It's like, oh yeah, just go put bandit signs out. Just write a bunch of direct mail. You know, slap them with yellow letters. That's how you find. You know, buy a list, skip trace it, cold call your ass off. Uh, that's how you'll find deals. Yeah, because that's not their area of expertise or their their focus. Um, I started studying not just real estate businesses and how to market that. I started studying business in general, service-based businesses, product-based businesses. What's the difference? B2C transit, you know, B2C marketing, B2B marketing. What makes things different in that and what makes people tick and where how do how do people make their decisions and all these kind of things that answer that that question on the marketing side. So as I started to get a little bit away from traveling and speaking as much, was tired of flying 150, 170,000 miles a year. Uh, and just kind of wanted to sit back and say, let me just consult and coach. I found myself having these marketing talks like crazy, which ultimately led me to, you guys know him, another kind of business partner of, of all of us here. Uh, but my business partner, Roger, he had a small web dev company. He was just doing website development for mainly mobile pet groomers. 
And hmm. every time I'd get a real estate client, I'd call Roger up and I'd be like, Hey, I need you to build them a website. I need you to get them going on this. I need help with, with this, you know, component of marketing. And uh, fast forward to 2019, December of 2019, he got on a call. I thought it was a coaching call. I thought I was getting on the call to coach him because that's, we would do this every so often. He'd book a yeah. time with me. I'd get on, I'd give him some guidance on how to try to build his web dev company a little bit more. And instead he had this other plan. He got on and he pitched me with this idea of basically absorbing him and going under one umbrella and bringing the marketing consulting and education component with the done for you model and really build this agency. And that's when REI toolbox was, was pitched. Um, and, and rolled out. And since then, that has been my main focus uh, is really on the, the REI toolbox side of things, helping real estate investors, real estate agents all over the country uh, with their lead gen and, and online marketing. And uh, my real estate today is passive properties, rental properties in Youngstown yeah. when they, when they pop up that uh, catch our eye or, uh, you know, something that, that strikes us and we still have access home buyers and it's, it runs over there. My brother's kind of the, the forefront of that. And we get random opportunities that, that I analyze, but for the most part, I'm only looking on the passive side. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, what a so, progression. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the RAI toolbox progression as well, because it didn't, didn't really start out that you were, you knew that you were going to focus on just real estate. No, we actually launched under a completely different name. Um, yep. We launched under Top Results Consulting, TRC. Uh, it's still there. We still have a bunch of legacy clients. We use TRC now for basically non-real estate. But I, this was actually a mistake. Uh, okay. We want to add a mistake to this side of the, the equation. Yeah, Roger wanted to go all in on real estate. And at this point, I was so burnt out with it. Not, not necessarily burnt out from doing it. I was yeah. just burnt out with dealing with it, dealing with real estate companies that just tried to operate the way Marie, the, you guys were just talking about. And I've seen some of your posts the last couple of days, you know, operating from scarcity and I didn't yeah. want to deal with it. And Roger's like, no, that's what we know. That's what we're good at. That's what we need to do. We need to niche into it. And I fought it for a good year until all of a sudden he brought it up on a meeting one day and he was like, just look at our client base right now. Yeah. And it was overwhelming. It was like 88% real estate clients to, you know, 12% um, non-real estate clients. And it was, that's when the writing hit the wall, like shit. All right. <laughs> I guess we're going to go all in on this and and kind of bring the, the actual brand REI toolbox is the forefront mm -hmm. of, of everything. And you know, fast forward to today, it's, you know, 95% of our business is REI toolbox. 5% comes from the TRC side. I mean, once again, right, Jake, you said this earlier, like there's always these times you can look back, but once again, I looked at it and was like, why the fuck did I fight it so long? <laughs> we should have did this sooner. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you were swimming in it. You were swimming in it probably all day, all night for years you had been. I don't blame you for wanting to just, you know, take a step outside of it and catch some fresh air, metaphorically speaking, for a little while, you know? Yeah. So I get it. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, when, when something's in your blood yeah. and, you know, I, I say this all the time, I might not be actively flipping right now. Um, 
but there isn't a a flip situation that I probably haven't encountered in the 12 years that I've been doing real estate. Uh, so yeah. I don't think you need to actively be doing everything to understand it when you've got enough, you know, experience around it. Uh, and that's what I love about real estate is there's so many different ways to invest in it and to, to make money in the game that there really isn't a, a, Oh, you Jacob Marie, you guys are wholesalers. You're not allowed to flip, right? You better wholesale right. for the rest of your life. Now you can pivot and adjust based on, Help just the way that you woke up today and decided if that's you know what you choose to do. Absolutely. And even within that, like the wholesalers, the the companies are not doing it the same way. They're not doing the same model. They're not doing the same marketing. Mm -hmm. It's all so individual. All right. So let's even fast forward just a little bit more because I want to talk about now what mistakes you've made or what um you know, what lessons you've learned that made that company grow and scale. We've talked about not hiring soon enough, maybe not niching down soon enough. Um, what else has, have you learned or has completely propelled your business forward in the last couple of years? Big thing I learned um, early on was, so take all the stuff that I had gone through in the other businesses, right? Those are always thoughts in the back of the mind. Need to need to hire a little bit faster. We've also made the mistake of hiring way too fast or way mm -hmm. too much, right? Mm -hmm. yep. um, so there is that that fine line. And early on, we didn't hire at a, at a fast rate. We were doing just kind of okay. We need it. Let's hire. We need it. Let's hire. Then we started to get a little bit too fast, and overhead got a little crazy. And unfortunately. Yep. You know, I think one of the hardest things as a business owner, especially as a CEO and, and somebody at the, the, the helm where everybody's looking at you to be the, the, the captain of the ship is to have to eventually look backwards and, and kind of look down, so to say, and tell people they're going to have to get off the boat Yeah, because I can't afford to keep this boat afloat, right? Where we're sinking um, if I leave you on. And that, that's a very hard thing to do. Um, so early on, we, we made that mistake quite a bit. And that's something that as of late, you know, the last year, year and a half, it's something we spend a lot of time, probably more time than I think most people normally do in business, really looking at bottom line numbers, budget, team, these type of thing, scaling the, the way that makes sense, not just scaling because, well, I'm tired of doing the work, so I'll just go hire somebody to do it. Yeah. As much as I agree with that, hire the things you don't want to do you also have to be able to financially cover that and not out of your own pocket, the business, right? That's the other difference in this business because REI toolbox TRC has really turned into, um, you know, it's, it's well over a, a seven figure a year operation now. Um, whereas the real estate side, you know, it's, it's hit, you never know what's going on uh, with, with the real estate based on how many deals you're doing is based on how much money is coming right. in. There's no reoccurring business model to it. Whereas in the marketing agency side, there's this reoccurring side, but all that means is that means there's reoccurring work, which means there's reoccurring tasks. And, um, you know, I, I think businesses need to spend a little bit more time focusing on the operational side. That's been another big area of, of mistakes for us. Not me personally, I'm more on the front end sales marketing, right? Driving the ship of the company, 
not really paying attention to what's going on behind me on the fulfillment side sometimes. Mm. Um, and I think you really need to make sure that you, you know, kind of stay in tune with that. And that's something I struggle with still to this day. Uh, it's a little bit of a weak point. I spend a lot of time focusing on it, getting clarity, getting on meetings, making sure if I don't understand what fulfillment is doing or what operations, you know, in real estate, that's the, you're doing rehabbing and you're the guy out locking up contracts and lining up funding and closing. And then you disappear, go find the next deal and mm -hmm. not pay attention to what's going on with your rehab team. Are we on track? Right. You, you really need to make sure that you're keeping that, that fine, fine tune um, kind of rhythm in there. Yeah. All right. So 21st century, 20, what century are we in right now? 21st century. What you call this. I know it's weird, right? Um, present, day. present day, 2023. Um, what are the best marketing strategies for real estate investors? I'm going to ask you a selfish how much, question. How much time are we going on this thing? Because uh... not, not about your mistakes. <laughs> but no, um, I'm, just, I'm just asking because, you know, we mentioned Craigslist and... Yeah, yeah. You know, so, I, I mean, as I joked before, Craigslist was the Google of today. Google, by, hands down, is still... It is the place where people go for for information, but that doesn't mean that that all your eggs should be in that basket either. Um, some of the best tactics right now out there are the tried and true methods still work. You guys know this as well as anybody: the cold texting, the cold calling, and the direct mail. Yep. It still works. The difference is it works when you layer multiple other media's around that. And when I say media's, I'm talking about the outlets. Yep. So whether that's paid ads and you're, you're hyper-targeting there or targeting on social media with some paid ads and then drawing them in and then hitting them with direct mail and, and cold calling and cold texting behind that, uh, it could be geofencing ads. It could be, um, you know, TV ads, radio. I don't care what it is. Multiple medias combined together. I just had this, this talk with a, we have a partnership with a education platform. I was running a training last week for them and, the average person needs 12 to 13 touches to make a decision. Mm. You don't know where you're at in their touch points of decision-making when you first get in contact with them. Yeah. I don't care what that contact is, the text, the call, the direct mail, the, the advertisement, whatever it is, that could be their first time being touched with this message, this concept of sell my house fast, get a cash offer for my home, right? It could be their ninth you don't know where it's at. So you need to be looking at marketing, not from tactical approaches. This is the other problem that I see. A lot of mistakes out there. It's everybody launches marketing tactics, not marketing campaigns. Mm -hmm. Sean, I got a marketing campaign going. It, it, you do? What, do? what is it? Let me hear it. What's the breakdown of it? Well, I'm I just text texting them. people. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a tactic, right? So you've got a marketing tactic in play. No singular tactic at the end of the day can do all the work. SEO can't do all the work. Ads can't do all the work. Texting can't do all the work. Cold calling can't do all the work. It's no different than Sean can't do all the work and run the company by himself, right? Mm -hmm. True. You have to hire people around you. You have to build a team to build a business. Your marketing needs a team. It needs other marketing team members out there doing things because Again, I don't know when they've where they're at in their journey, and I don't also know where these people tend to, you know, make go to get more information. 
They may go to the internet. They may go to social media. They may want something in the mail. There's so many different ways for people to decide, right? They might want to watch a video. They might want to listen to the audio. You've got to have multiple tactics combined uh, into it. So if I were to say in 2023, going into 2024, regardless of what the market is doing, right? regardless of what's happening in the real estate market, one thing's consistent. The way people are making decisions, we're in a technology age. They are going to go online. They are going to do things. You need to be kind of everywhere that they potentially could be looking um, yeah. to get that information in their hands. It's, it's that really om omnipresent approach, right? Like you got to be right. everywhere. So, all right. And the other Jake word, not to interrupt you there, but the other word to, to take from that is information. Real estate companies, at the end of the day, what we sell is a service, right? As real estate investors, we are real estate investors. That is not what we are to the seller. We are right. a solution. We are a hope, right? We're a, we're a, a, a service, that they can utilize to deal with their real estate transaction. We are selling a service. And when people sell services, what people, the consumer of that service is looking for is the information about the service. So at the end of the day, your marketing job is to market information, not a result. Yeah, man, that that's gold. I literally just had this conversation. We onboarded two new closers today and I was telling them to, you know, sell, sell the sizzle. And they're like, well, what's the sizzle? What is, you know, am I just making the offer? It's like, no, you are the fucking sizzle. You, us mm -hmm. as the company, what we do, the service we provide, like that's the sizzle. What so you I do, how you do it, what makes you yes. different, right? Yes. All of those Absolutely. things. Yep. All right, Marie, you have a famous awesome. last question. Awesome, Jake. No, no, I was going to ask you, because usually I'm asking you, Jake, do you have any last questions before we get off? Or oh no! I mean, yeah. I get Go off ahead. the hook easy. No, no, like fun fact. No crazy thing. None of those. No, no. My question <laughs> for you is: How do people get in touch with you? They're let's say they're a real estate investor and they need a real estate marketing company. How do they get in touch with Sean Tiberio and REI Toolbox? Two very very easy ways. Uh, if you want to connect with me personally, it's at Sean Tiberio pretty much on every social media platform. Uh, most active on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, find me on there. Send me a message. If you're interested in REI Toolbox and what we can do on that front, it's reitoolbox.com. reitoolbox.com. All the information is there on the website. Um, very easy to check it out. And then if you want to grab time on the calendar, that calendar is directly with me. That's the other part that everybody gets all like, holy crap, it's actually, you actually get on these calls and and meet with me. Yes, it's it's me on the other end uh, when you book those. So those are the two ways uh, from there. And if anybody listening to this has any cool deals in Youngstown, Ohio, accesshomebuyers.com. Uh, we'd love to we'd love to look at some cool deals in the Youngstown and, and Northeast Ohio areas. Very cool. Okay, and awesome. then selfish plug. There's no way the three of us can end a podcast and not mention Investor Harvest. Yeah, I think we probably should, huh? Yeah, we owe it to it, you I know, mean, to the listeners. Jake kind of opened up saying, you know, uh, somebody that's not just a, a colleague, but somebody intertwined. So, yeah, 
maybe Jake, you could you could drop a little bit on what we got going Ooh, on on the investor harvest side. Little, little investor harvest salt bay. Um, yeah. So if you have enjoyed this podcast, if you've learned anything from listening to us go on about um, all of the copious mistakes that Sean has made, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, there's um, a lot. <laughs> no, it's it's like a badge of honor, right? The more mistakes, that means the more opportunity for growth, right? Um, exactly. No, if you if you have learned anything from this, you can head over to investorharvest.com. Um, you can check out our program. Um, it's, it's really designed to just be a no bullshit real estate education mastermind type environment where we're going to get together and go over a whole range of stuff. Um, we have a lot of different expertise on the team. Marie brings an incredible amount of short-term rental knowledge. Sean brings just the, not only the marketing, but the construction side as well and, and much more. And then I just kind of stumble through and try to provide value where I can in the whole selling space to folks. So. Come on, you give a great customer experience. I think everyone likes booking calls with you more than me and Sean lately. They, they do. Right? I think they. I think with um, Jake selling himself short, he uh, he's the master, <laughs> folks, when it comes to operations, systems, SOPs, processes, management of a team, um, those kind of things. I mean, I've I learned something every single time Jake talks about uh, any of that that realm of stuff when it comes to what you guys got going on with the Laura homes and the way you're running with your, your VAs and stuff. So don't sell yourself yeah. short, dude. Thanks guys. Yeah. So check us out at investorharvest.com. Um, and with that, Sean, I guess you probably reach out to the head of investor harvest and see if they'd be open to uh, sponsoring the podcast. Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, Sean, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks for, thanks for coming on, Sean. Uh, thanks for having me. It was fun. And, uh, I, I I love listening to the different episodes each week. So it's fun to actually be on one and share some of my, my mistakes. Nice. Absolutely. It was great having you. Thanks for listening to learn from my mistake. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on your preferred platform. This will help us reach more listeners who can benefit from the valuable insights that we share. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and visit our website to stay up to date with our latest episodes and exclusive content. If you're looking for ongoing education and support from experienced real estate investors, we invite you to join Investor Harvest. Our community is the perfect place to connect with other investors, get expert coaching, and receive access to exclusive resources that'll take your investing to the next level. Visit our website now at www.investorharvest.com to learn more and sign up. Thanks for listening.